You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Sorry for the late start. I always try to get Mondays out on time, but uh, we got home a little bit late last night, and I said, well, I'll just get up early tomorrow, and I just blasted right through all my alarms. I am. It's a good thing I didn't have work today, because holy cow, I am. I feel like I got hit by a truck. I didn't even do anything yesterday. I was mostly just sitting around. That's what happens when you take, take introverts to parties, man. Just, just dead. <laughs> I'm exhausted. But hey, man, Packers won. And I'm, I still, uh, I mentioned on my live stream yesterday, I uh, did everything I could to avoid social media. Sorry to everybody that kind of, um, that was reaching out to me and talking to me during the game. I was kind of, kind of just being very quiet. Occasionally I'd pop in and send like a quick response and then jump out real quick. I just didn't, I didn't feel like dealing with it. I mean, it was mostly positive to be honest, but I just, I just wanted to stay away. I wanted a day of no social media, like I can just enjoy the game, and um, you know what, how it is. Um, but the the issue is, I didn't really have my finger on the pulse of how people are feeling. And when I did the live stream, I got a little bit. Granted, it wasn't the full Packer Nation breakdown, but um, it's mostly been pretty positive, and I think that's good because it should be. Here was generally my takeaway the entire game. I'm glad that we won the game because I wanted to make sure the better team won. And I and I did see some people disagree. I felt the entire game the Packers were the better team. Not necessarily dominant, but it was really just a matter of when the Bengals were good, they were good in the right ways. And when the Packers were bad, they were bad in the exact wrong ways. I mean, again, so the Packers are better all the way through this game. However, for example, look at the red zone. When they got in the red zone, they got touchdowns. When we got in the red zone, we maybe got a field goal. That makes a massive difference in the end result of the game. Even though we're getting in the red zone more often, we have to get down there three times just to get nine points. They get down there once for seven. You know what I mean? If we if we get two and they get one, they're winning. Well, we're clearly the better team. And then, you know, you look on top of that, the, uh, the halftime thing, which was unbelievably upsetting. And I, I even said, when there's one minute left, I said, this is a classic Packers give up seven moment. I was expecting like a 50-yard punt return or kick return. That didn't happen, but of course, we have the old rush to um, touchdown pass, which I just, I'll never understand. But again, that's not them being a better team. That was one horrible play by the Packers and one great play by the Bengals. So if you add up the good and the bad, I think the Packers massively outweighed the Bengals, in my opinion. I think, you know, again, not perfect. I thought special teams across the board was bad. Usually it's just our kick coverage and kick return that's bad, but Mason had, I mean, about as bad as a game as he's as he's ever had. And Bajorquez, 
I mean, I, I think he averaged like 30 yards a punt, and the one he just completely shanked. So special teams killed us. So, I mean, if, if your punter's having a bad day, there's, um, you know, bad field position. If your kicker's having a bad day, I think Mason took seven points off the board. Or no, it was, uh, what? How, did, how many did he miss? Was it two field goals and an extra point or three field goals and an extra point? I think it was two and an extra point. Let me check real quick. No, he missed three. No, that's not right. Is that right? Four of seven? He didn't make four field goals, did he? I guess. And and again, I mean, seven field goal attempts. What does that tell you about the offense? Again, I thought the offense did a good job. But that's seven opportunities where we were close enough and should have gotten at least seven out of some of those. But we scored 13 more, which means two touchdowns and a missed extra point. Um so he took 10 points off the board. Mason did by himself. And, and you, you can grant him a miss here and there. So let's say one of those 50-plus yarders, plus some of those misses wouldn't have happened if, you know, if he makes the first one, we, we win the game. So I, whatever you want to call it, he took seven-ish points off the board. You know, it's just, it's, it's little things like that that kept it close and almost lost us the game. And again, that was when we kicked the game-winning, when Mason kicked the game-winning field goal. That was kind of the biggest relief, is the Packers should win this game. Not that they've been perfect, but they've played with heart. I think they've been the better offense. I think they've been the better defense. I think they've done enough to deserve to win. It's not like one of those games where they win and it's like they didn't even deserve it. I did have one person reach out and say that. I disagree. Um, I think they did do enough, unless you're just talking about mistakes. And yes, there were way too many mistakes. There is one interesting thing about this. A lot of the people's takes, usually I get it, at least on some level, Maybe I don't take it quite as far. Some people just see opposite things of me in this game, and it's kind of interesting. Somebody, I think, just reached out on Twitter, said he's never seen Aaron Rodgers play so good, and I'm like, I don't know. I didn't think he had necessary. I mean, Rodgers is kind of weird, and he kind of embodies that grit mentality because usually with Rodgers, he's either really on or really off. I feel like the last couple couple of weeks, he's had plays that are off, but for the most part has done a good job. Like, you know, like a normal human being quarterback where he's not perfect. But when he's not perfect, he doesn't just fall apart. He, he'll just come back and be like, all right, let's do better next time. And then he throws a great pass. It's weird to say that I can very rarely remember Rodgers playing like this, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. But um, yeah, it just, it's such a whirlwind. I don't really know what else to say other than that. I, I think it was it was kind of, I mean, the score was different than I said yesterday, but that was my positivity score prediction thing with a little bit of rationality in it. And again, it, it, it could have, would have, should have been better. It definitely should have. Red zone efficiency needs to be better. The special teams needs to be better. Um, and if it was, this would have been a much bigger blowout than it was. I mean, they shouldn't have kept the Bengals in the game as much as they did. And, and to be fair, the Bengals kept us in the game many times. They missed field goals. That pick to Devondre never should have happened. I don't know what he was doing. Um, but look, I mean, again, the other thing I keep reminding everyone, and it seems like everyone kind of knows this, but I'd remind everyone anyways, this is not the Bengals of, of old that are just a complete joke and you just walk all over them and, next, and move on to your next team. This is a top five running back, top five quarterback, and three number one wide receivers. This is a quality team. They've got holes like everybody else, but they've got players on defense, they've got players on offense, and um, the Packers went there on the road and just handled business. Man, oh man, I'm reading through uh, the PFF uh, overview. It's crazy, man. There's obviously a couple negatives here, but why don't we start going through? I think I'm going to try to do this a little bit differently. Oh, we can't take a break now, can we? I'm trying to think of how to do this. Let's look at the insights that we get for this game um, via NFL.com. Then maybe we'll take a break. I don't know. 
Uh, fourth time's a charm, Mason Crosby. Mason Crosby came the first kicker to make a game winner in the final 10 seconds of the fourth quarter or overtime after missing their last three field goals since Bill Cundiff did it in week four of 2012. That doesn't seem that interesting. <laughs> that seems like something that only happens once every 10 years, um, missing four field goals, much less kicking the game winner. But anyways, 2012 it happened. Devontae Adams had a career-high 206 receiving yards, becoming the first Green Bay player with 200-plus receiving yards in a game since Jordy in 2014. When I saw that stat, I was stunned. I didn't think he had that many yards. It seemed like his game against, uh, what was it, San Francisco or whatever? Felt like he played a much bigger role in that game. Must have just been bigger passes, because I just, when I saw 206 yards, I was floored. I was like, I'm reading this wrong. Felt like a solid, like, you know, Eight reception, 112-yard game, and it, I don't know, again, this whole game had me so twisted around. I mean, you figure if you caught 10 passes, that's an average of 20 yards. That's kind of crazy. I mean, I know he had the giant bomb, which is going to obviously help. Uh, apparently, this is the, there were three missed kicks, five total. Um, excuse me, there were more than three missed kicks in the last three minutes of the fourth quarter or overtime for the first time since 1999. 1991, when the play-by-play data became available. So potentially the worst ever, (laughs) especially when you say uh, that there were five total. Mason Crosby missed a field goal for the first time in his last 28 attempts. Crosby's streak of 27 straight made field goals was the longest streak in team history. That kind of breaks your heart, doesn't it? Especially the way it happened. Like, dude, just, it's like when you go off the rails drinking, you know? Like you quit, and then it's like, I'm just going to have one, and then you're like laying in a ditch the next day, just riddled with guilt for a month. Aaron Jones has 95-plus scrimmage yards in four straight games, the longest Green Bay streak since Jamal Williams in 2017. You just killed it with that, you know that? I love Jamal, but you made it sound special, and then you just took it away from me. That is pretty cool, though, and it's another one. It just seems like, you know, again, Aaron had, like, the one big run, but it's like he's had that in four straight games? I feel like he hasn't really, hasn't even broken out yet. Hasn't had his big game, but he had, I guess he had a couple big runs. It's not even so much this game, it's the other games I'm thinking back on. Like, I don't think so. Is that, is that right? Devontae Adams has 100-plus receiving yards and one-plus receiving touchdown for the ninth time since 2020, which is the most in the NFL. Devontae Adams scored in the second quarter, was his 60th receiving touchdown since 2016, which is the most in the NFL. Go figure. Devontae Adams has 16-plus fantasy points in 39 of his last 48 games played. Aaron Rodgers has surpassed Phillip Rivers, 421, for the fifth most passing touchdowns in NFL history. Devontae Adams has surpassed Jordy Nelson, 25, for the third most games with 100-plus receiving yards for Green Bay players since 1950. Devontae Adams has five-plus receptions in 17 straight games. Only Sterling Sharp has a longer streak among Green Bay players since 1950. By the way, uh, Sterling Sharp's streak is at 18. So next week he can tie it, and the week after that he can break it if he can if he can do it two more times. And we have the Bears, who do not have corners, and Washington. I don't know about their situation, and I don't feel like looking it up, but there's certainly some potential for him to get five receptions. If nothing else, hit him with a couple bubble screens if he's falling short, you know what I mean? Let's get him that record. Anyways, I think I am going to take a break here because I just I really just want to power through a bunch of this stuff, and it's all kind of tied together. There's my thoughts, the stats, and PFF's thoughts, and I want to just kind of keep that all intertwined, and then we'll just kind of get out of here. Um, if you would like to support the podcast, I would appreciate that. You can do so at patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can join for as little as $1 per month. Help supports what I do over here. 
you're not a big fan of Patreon, you can check the show notes. Lots of other options down there. But uh, we'll take a break, and we'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, let's, uh, let's do this. Starting at the top with the big guy, Aaron Rodgers, 27 to 39, 344 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Kind of gave my thoughts already on Aaron Rodgers. Um, I thought he had a good game. It wasn't perfect. And also, a lot of those issues that he was having, he was screaming at everybody else. So it may have been a heavy dose of guys just not doing the right things. But overall, I thought it was a good day. Um, and again, even when things started to go awry, um, for example, the one thing that stands out as clearly Aaron Rodgers not doing what he should be doing, um, well, 1A is just not getting the ball out of his hands on the shorter plays. Too many times saying, throw it, throw it, throw it, he's open, throw it, throw it, throw it, please throw it, throw it, throw it, and then he finally throws it, and it's like, geez, Rodgers. I mean, the guy's almost out of bounds by the time you throw it. But there was a clear touchdown that should have happened to Randall Cobb. Um, and the, the way that that works is very, very simple. Randall Cobb kind of ran into the defender, pushed off a little bit, you know, as he comes out of his break. That ball should have been basically in his hands by the time he comes out of his break. He came out of his break, and it was like a three count before Rodgers threw it to him. And by that point, the defender caught up. The timing on that throw was so bad. It was the designed rollout to the left. 
And again, the, the timing between those two just isn't exactly there, I guess. But as soon as he comes out of his break, man, you need to just have that thing ready to go. And he was way too hesitant. And um, we ended up kicking a field goal on that instead of getting a touchdown. Don't know if we missed that field goal or if we made it, but I know we didn't get a touchdown. Um, that was just one of the examples of the inefficiency and, and things just not going well. But again, overall, these are tweaky things that I think we can, should, and hopefully will get cleaned up pretty quick. Uh, PFF's note on him, because they got that overview or whatever. Unlike most Packer outings over the last couple of years, Aaron Rodgers focused his success on long developing plays as opposed to playing in rhythm in the offense with a lot of short, quick throws. In passes of 2.5 seconds or less, he was 12 of 17 for 70 yards, two explosive passes. Um, For plays 2.6 seconds or longer, he was 15 of 21, 274 yards, and nine explosive plays. I don't think I've ever seen nine explosive plays in my life. That would be, by the way, 11 total, which I don't, I feel like that has to be wrong. Something's not right. I'll, I'll check when, when the grades go. Usually, like, it's onesie-twosie. Like, if you get one turnover-worthy play, two explosive plays, that's that's a pretty good day. That's I've never seen anything even remotely close to 11, so we'll have to follow up on that. For reference, the most completions he's had over 2.6 seconds from the snap in a game from week one through four of the season was six. So, again, 15 of 21. Those 15 completions and nine explosive pass plays on longer developing plays from Rodgers were the most he's had under Matt LaFleur. That's worth noting. That's also something that feels like a game plan, which is a little surprising. We don't have MVS, and their safeties are not that bad, but they really felt like they wanted to, to, I guess maybe because they weren't as scared of this defensive line, they wanted to kind of stretch the field a bit. I don't know. Or maybe it just had to do with uh, the, the way that they were playing us. They were hugged up tight to the Line of scrimmage. I don't know, man. By the way, I completely forgot to mention this. My dream was so ridiculous last night. It was so my wife had set something up in my dream. I don't know what it was, but that's just how my life goes. Everything I do is something my wife set up. If it wasn't for my wife, I would probably have mold growing on me. But anyways, my kids were involved in some kind of a camp. And I somehow ended up being the head coach of one of these football teams, like just a little youth thing or whatever. But this was a big deal. Not only was it televised, and not only are these kids like really good at football and they kind of like knew what they were doing and they looked at me like an idiot because I was and I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, not that we even held our first practice, but just as soon as they found out I was the coach, they're like, who's this guy? I'm like, I don't know, dude. But one of my assistants in this game was Julio Jones. I think he was going to be like the wide receiver coach for these group of kids that I was the head coach of. It was the most horrifying thing ever. Like, dude, Julio's going to hate me because I'm stupid. I don't know what to, like, what, do we, like, do introductions when the kids show up? And this was, like, a big meeting. There's kids everywhere. Like, I, I don't have days to figure this out. We got to put together a little plan here and play some football. I don't even know, like, I don't, I don't know anything. You, uh, you throw it to that guy. That's, that's this play. Let's try that. Julio, you want to draw something up real quick? I'm busy. I got to tie junior shoes over here. We never actually got to the game, and I never got to meet Julio, which was a relief and depressing at the same time. I kind of think I might have bailed on the team. I'm not positive, but I started to see people kind of pack up their stuff, and I feel like the game ended, and I was kind of playing stupid, like I don't know what to do, but I also just wasn't, I didn't, but I also wasn't asking, you know? Like, hey, where do I go? I'm the head coach of this or that team. I was just like, I don't know, man, I'm just walking over here. And then people started packing up their stuff, and I was waiting for my wife to show up and scold me for being a no-show to this football game. But we never got to that part of the dream, fortunately. I was literally wandering over by the cars, like, oh, where is my car? How am I going to get my car up this hill? This is a super steep hill. I was driving a nice car, though. I had like a, 
I don't think it was a phantom, but it was like a phantom knockoff. I'm assuming it wasn't a. Fa- I mean, I don't know. I, I know it was a dream. It could have been anything, but it, that's what it looked like. It was like a Chrysler 200 or something. Anyways, uh, running backs. A.J. Dillon, 8 carries, 30 yards, 3.8 average. Aaron Jones, 14 carries, 103 yards, 7.4 average. PFF's note, Aaron Jones was a standout performer despite less than ideal run blocking up front. That's one of the things they talk about a, a, a lot. The run blocking was horrific. He totaled 104 yards on just 13 carries, and 89 came after contact. That's crazy. That, that big run, by the way, was the craziest thing I've ever seen. Usually those big runs you can see happening as soon as the ball gets handed off. You know, especially when it's against the Packers, you look and it's like, dude, where is everybody? This is going to be so bad. That should have been a four-yard loss. That's the craziest thing I've ever seen. But get this, 104 yards on 13 carries, 89 came after contact. He also broke five tackles and recorded three first down runs. That's not on that play, obviously, but you know. Backup A.J. Dillon also wasn't helped by the poor run blocking efforts up front, but he didn't have near the success that Jones did on the ground. Dillon broke just two tackles and totaled 30 rushing yards on his eight carries. Dillon did, however, finish second on the team in receiving yards with 49 on four receptions. His hands are looking sweet. I do wish, this is a comment I made uh, yesterday to my buddy as well as on the stream, but Mercedes Lewis is everything I want A.J. Dillon to be. A.J. Dillon's a big guy, and once in a while you see the power, but you don't see it as much as you'd like. And that was my comment after we drafted him. I went back and watched him at Boston College. I did a video at somewhere on uh, Packernet Podcast Facebook page. There's a video somewhere. But my whole thing was he doesn't run with as much power as he should. He's a very upright runner, and when you're running upright, it doesn't, you know, you don't really have as much power. You got to get low and just blast through people. And, and again, he carries piles once in a while, and that's cool, but there isn't like that, like Mercedes, when he collides with somebody, he doesn't move. The other guy bounces off of him. You don't see that as much with A.J. Dillon. So, um, you know, and he has a lot of speed, but you never get to see that because he has no holes to run through. Occasionally when he does, you get to see him kind of pick up some speed. But that whole speed-power combination thing, we haven't fully seen it as much as he'd like. You know, he doesn't have that Derrick Henry mentality yet, and I'm hoping he can kind of just get there a little bit. But again, he get the guy some run blocking. Receivers, and this was a pretty wild game. Devontae, 11 receptions, 206 yards, one touchdown on 16 targets. A.J. Dillon was our second most targeted player, which is wild. Well, not targeted, but uh, receptions? I don't know. Four receptions, 49 yards, a touchdown, four on four targets. Aaron Jones was the most targeted. Mercedes Lewis, two receptions, 34 yards. Randall Cobb, two for 30. Tunyon, one for eight. Aaron Jones, four of six. Lazard, two of six. Kylan, one of five. So the two most, the guys with the most receptions after Devontae were our running backs. A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones had four apiece. After that, the most was two. And Mercedes Lewis is one of the guys with two. That's a really weird game. And I'll take it, but you're also looking at it like, dude, Tunyon, what the heck? Lazard what the heck? Like, we, we gotta, we gotta do better than this. This is crazy. Like, our second best running, or a receiver at this point is going to be A.J. Dillon. Don't even dare. Don't you even dare. I mean, I love that Dillon is killing it, and I love Aaron Jones. It's always a reliable option, but let's, let's just not. Can we please not? I mean, we're all sitting there watching this saying, what the heck is EQ even contribute to this team? But the scary thing is, nobody else is doing much more than he is. So that needs to be better. Uh, PFF notes on receivers slash tight ends. Devontae Adams was a man among boys against Cincinnati. It's a common phrase for that guy. He caught 11 of 16 targets for 206 yards and a score, accounting for 60% of the team's passing yards and 50% of the team's first downs picked up through the air. 
He also recorded zero drops and caught all three of his contested catches opportunities on, on the day. That's incredible. <clears throat> but check this out. They put this little uh, thing together. Highest target rate through five weeks of the season in the PFF era. Devontae Adams is number two with 36.8%. Now, that's both good and bad. He's super dominant, but at the same time, we're leaning way too heavy on him. We shouldn't have to. It's working, so fine, but it's we're only doing it because there's not a lot of other options. We saw Randall step up big last week or whatever week that was. We got to have more consistency with other guys doing other things. The other crazy thing on this list that shows the top five, Steve Smith is number one, three, and four. 2006 with the Panthers, 2015 with the Ravens, 2008 with the Panthers. So 6, 8, and 15, most targeted. That's that's insane. In, in 2006, Steve Smith, 40.2% target rate, targets per route run. Number five is TJ Hushmanzada with the Bengals, which I miss that guy, dude. That was a lot of fun, playing him on Madden and whatnot. Uh, there are notes on the offensive line because we don't have any stats for them. Uh, we should have grades pretty soon here. Most of the whoever the whoever grades for the Green Bay Packers for PFF is the slowest person ever. The Packers are always the last team to have their grades done. Always, the Rams game is done. The Patriots game is done. The Dolphins game is done. The Lions game is done. The Broncos game is done. The Titans game is done. Um, there's just one, two, three, four of them that aren't done, and the Packers are one of them. They're always one of the last ones. But whatever, we're not doing that today, anyways. I just want to look at it. The Packers' injury-battered offensive line struggled significantly in the run game, but it was far from a disaster in pass protection. Guard Lucas Patrick was the only one along the offensive line with a PFF grade below 60 on first review, and the stark majority of his woes were in the run game. Patrick allowed zero total pressures, while John Runyon and Yash Nyman led the team with three pressures allowed apiece. So again, this hodgepodge group of offensive linemen managed to not give up hardly any pressures. I think there was one sack in the game. It's just, it's just, it's quite incredible. Um, we'll rip through the defensive statistics and then kind of look at what they said about the whole group as a unit. Um, Amos actually led the team in tackles, followed by Devondre Campbell uh, and Darnell Savage. So the safeties were heavily involved in this. Uh, sacks, Chris Barnes got one. I thought Chris Barnes had a good day. I'll, I'll kind of throw my two cents in. Um, I'll just kind of rip through the defense after we get through the stats and give my first impressions, which again are probably wrong because it's just kind of what are the one or two or three plays that stand out in my mind. But um, I thought Barnes had a good day. He did have his one sack. Preston Smith had a sack and then Dean and TJ Slayton split one. Um, tackles for a loss. Devondre Campbell had one. I think that's it. The other two are Chris Barnes and Preston Smith, which I think they're counting the the sack. And then you had the picks. Amos had the, the one pick. Um, Eric Snow, who was it? Uh, Devondre Campbell had his pick, which had a 13-yard uh, return. Dean Lowry had two pass deflections, which is fantastic. Eric Stokes also had one pass deflection on the day. Just kind of going through this, um, Amos, I thought, did fine. I didn't really notice anything terrible about him. It seemed like he gave up a couple, but he also came up and cleaned up. Devondre was just an absolute freak. I mean, I, somebody had mentioned this on the stream yesterday. I don't remember exactly what they said, but I, I kind of had to ponder for a moment, and I thought, at this point in time, was Zadarius out and Jair out? Is is he the most valuable guy on our defense right now? It sounds so weird, not only because of, you know, we have other guys that we like, like Savage and Amos and Preston and Rashawn or whatever, if, if you like those guys, but the fact that he's a linebacker makes him seem insignificant, but he's been so unbelievably good, it's insane. It's ridiculous what he's done. And again, the fact that he's never, ever in his career, you know, Aaron Rodgers went to the podium yesterday and said something to the effect of, 
I can't believe he was a street free agent. He's so good. And it's like, well, I can because he's never played anywhere like this in his life. He's graded out in the 50s for like four straight years. And he's like, I, I would be stunned if he's not the number one linebacker in football after this week. We'll get to that in a minute. Darnell Savage, he was flying all over. I, I think the one thing that's going to kill him is that reception, that big touchdown play. He was right there. I mean, that it looked like what he missed when he whiffed on that ball. His hand was so far that that ball was basically at his forearm. I think he was close enough. He could have almost picked that, but he panicked and he was in a dead sprint and he tried to swat the ball away and he just missed. But the point is, if that was a pass breakup instead of a touchdown, I think that makes the entire difference between him having a great day and him having a terrible day. And again, that's one of those where I, I'm guessing because PFF is going to grade that as a 75-yard touchdown reception given up by Savage, maybe, that the grade isn't going to be very good. But I mean, it's, it's one play and he was literally three centimeters away from making a great play. And I just, I again, if I'm grading things, that doesn't make sense to me. If I'm doing a grading system, three centimeters difference makes the difference between a great play and a terrible play. That doesn't make sense to me. And I wouldn't be looking at yardage because yardage doesn't matter to me. And I think PFF does, and I think that's stupid. I mean, do you get do you get a higher grade if you pass up, uh, if you uh, deflect a pass 50 yards down the field as opposed to two yards down the field? No. Why would you? If the interception is a 50-yard interception as opposed to, you know, picking off a, a pass that got batted, no. So what does it matter if the, the pass that you allowed was 50 yards down the field or... Because again, I'm grading your ability to cover, not the end result. I'm not saying it's not as significant. I'm saying if you're going to grade somebody on their ability, you if you give up a pass, you give up a pass. The yardage and, and whether or not it was a touchdown has zero significance to me. Again, I don't know how they grade, but if I ran a grading system, the, the the yardage and things would have no significance. It just wouldn't. He's not a worse player because it was further down the field. You know what I mean? If, 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 if the goal of the grades is to assess how good of a football player you are, which is what I want the grades to say, not how, how bad you've been this season and how detrimental you've been this season. If that's the grades you want, fine. But you can kind of get that with stats. Look how many yards they gave up. I want to know how good of a football player you are. And heck, I, I half want to give you credit for booking it that way across the field, showing at least some potential. It's going to be a negative play because you whiff. But again, we're talking about centimeters. So I don't know. Uh, Kevin King, I thought, held his own. I, I, I thought Stokes and King did fine. Stokes obviously gave up more receptions than Kevin King did. I thought they both gave up a couple. They both did a decent job tackling. Um, Stokes had a couple tackles where it's like, dude, you got to put a little bit more effort. But Kevin King also had the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life where he tried to tackle a guy with his head. I just, I've never seen anything like that in my life. His hands were at his side and he just threw his head into somebody's back. I don't know what the point of that was supposed to be, but whatever. But um, no, overall, I thought they they both did fine. Um, holding your own against a quality group like that with no Jair, I, I'm, I'm more than content with what they both did. Defensive line, I don't have much. Kenny Clark, um, I just, I didn't notice a ton. I, I noticed the entire defensive line had pressure on um, Joe Burrow pretty much all day. Not a ton of sacks, but he was constantly under duress, constantly under pressure. And one of the things I mentioned yesterday on the stream was, you know, even if it's not in the stat sheet, think about how many first downs got saved. Because instead of throwing that 30-yard bomb to the guy that's open down the field, he had to hurry up and dump it off or escape the pocket, which broke broke that play down entirely. And there's a lot of things that don't show up on the stat sheet because he's hurried and has to get the ball out of his hands. It's frustrating when he gets the ball out and we're about to get a sack, and in you know two seconds he gets the ball out and it's an eight-yard pickup. But because of the pressure, it wasn't potentially a 40-yard pickup. But again, we don't see that. It didn't show up on the stat sheet. 
but it is significant, and they do deserve credit for it. Uh, let's see, Chandon, Rashawn, Preston, Oren, uh, Yadam. Yadam seemed like, I don't know, I wasn't overly impressed with him. I don't think I ever have been. I just, every time I see him, every time I see 24, my thought is, oh, man. You know, it's it's never a good thing. Like, let's go 24. It's usually, oh, what are you doing? Um, running through the names. I'm not seeing a ton here that seems overly interesting. So we'll kick it over, see what PFF has to say. There's some uh, really good information here. Preston Smith, Kenny Clark, and Rashawn Gary all stood out in run defense against the Bengals. The trio combined for five total defensive stops and all earned PFF run defense grades above 70 in first review. Clark also earned the highest PFF pass rushing grade of any Packers defensive lineman in the game. Um, that's another, I thought the run defense was incredible. I really did. Again, you got to remember, Joe Mixon is a very talented guy. I know he's hurt, but he was still out there. And P. Ryan is a just unbelievably powerful guy. But the amount of times that these guys seem to just hold their assignments and stay in their lane, um, even a lot of times when I saw something negative, it wasn't like just guys getting blown up or, you know, you say bad play calls or whatever the case may be. Usually it was everybody's in their lane. The running back has one hole to go through and here's a free linebacker coming up and he just doesn't make a tackle. That's just execution. Joe Barry has these guys doing exactly what they need to do. We just don't have the right guy out there. And, you know, I think the one time that happened, I think it might have been Oren Burks or something. He came up, hit the guy and and didn't bring him down. And the problem with that is everybody else is doing their job. You're, you got to make the the play because everyone else is busy doing other stuff. They can't be cleaning up your mess. Um, but yeah, I thought, especially those guys up front, just just manning their assignments and doing what they need to do. Was a special nod from PFF from Gary Clark and Preston on that. But um, overall, impressed. Go on to talk about linebacker, and this is this is the part that gave me chills when I did a quick overview before I hit you know play or whatever. Veteran Devondre Campbell played with his hair on fire on Sunday. He earned a 90-plus PFF grade on first review, racking up an interception, three defensive stops, and zero missed tackles in the process. He also allowed just 22 yards on 35 coverage snaps. Again, if this guy isn't the number one linebacker, I'll be a little surprised. Because to already be, I think he was top three, and he's going to get another 90 overall grade? I mean, the only way that he isn't is if one of the guys ahead of him also had a 90 overall grade. But regardless, what the heck is going on here? And again, we have to give a lot of credit to Joe Barry here. I'm not going to bury my head in the sand and pretend Campbell was always a good player and it was just this obvious pickup. I mean, kudos to Brian Gutekunst and their staff and finding a, the right guy for the right system and all that stuff. I mean, you could say the same with Zedarius. Zedarius was good. He was never this good. Um, you could possibly say it about Billy Turner. I, I think he's kind of playing at the same level he always was, but he's he's slotted in and he's doing his job. We'd be a lot worse without him, that's for sure. But this this is this is an unbelievably drastic transformation. This may be a bigger transformation than what we saw with Zadarius, because Zadarius was good. He was like a 70-something player that became a, like an 85 player. This is like a 50 player that's now a 90 player. It's it's unbelievable what is happening. And it's it's again, it's it's the reason why you start thinking about Jalen Smith and it's like, you know, that's the other thing. Devondre Campbell, Jalen Smith was taken as early as he was taken because of his potential, because of his upside. I don't think Devondre has ever really had that level of upside. Could be wrong. I don't know. I mean, he was a fourth round pick that runs almost a 4-6, so I doubt they were as hyped on him as Jalen Smith. But man, it just gets you excited, especially since he's kind of doing it on his own, you know? And again, I don't think Jalen's going to come in and be like an every down guy. They're going to find certain roles that fit him specifically and uh, let him just excel, hopefully, in that in that role. 
But also at this point, it's like, yeah, let's just leave Campbell out there because whatever Jalen can do well, Campbell can probably do better. But um, and I and I keep expecting it to fall off. Like it can't stay this good all year. It just it can't be this good. And he just keeps getting better. Finally, looking at the secondary, it says rookie Eric Stokes and veteran safety Darnell Savage got the brunt of the Bengals' passing attack. The duo allowed more than 160 yards in coverage and earned a sub-60 PFF coverage grade on first review. Kevin King should finish reviews with the highest PFF grade of any Packer defensive back, which is three receptions for 17 yards allowed in coverage, which is awesome because we need somebody to step up. And again, he wasn't going up against slouches. We've played slouches before. We're going up against a solid unit. It kind of stinks for Stokes going up against uh, Jamar, who was just absolutely going off. But, um, you know, Higgins and uh, and the rest of the crew, uh, what's the, Boyd. These are not slouch players. The other thing I'll say positive about Stokes, and again, he, he got beat up on the last couple of weeks. Um, it's never... It's never where you look at it and go, dude, what are you doing? He's always right there. And I feel like these are things that can be tweaked. You know what I mean? Like if you come out of your break a little bit quicker, if he just read that a little bit faster, if, you know, I mean, he could have had a pick on that one massive overthrow where there was pressure right in Joe Burrow's face. He lobs it up to Jamar and it's so underthrown, he couldn't even turn around and catch it. Um, That's another thing where it's, you know, he's in such a panic trying to not let Jamar get behind him that by the time he saw, you know, it's it's one of those where if he just, if he just had a, a, about a second quicker instinct on this ball's underthrown or I need to get my head around or whatever the case may be, that could have been a pick. And again, these are just little things that you got your DB coach and your defensive coordinator and all these guys that are going to try to get in there and tweak for you just to make you a little bit better. But I've, I don't know that I've really ever seen too many things with the exception of a couple horrible tackles with Stokes where I look at him and go, dude, what in the world are you doing? He's always just right there. You know, whether it's a half a step behind a guy, which even that is kind of rare. Or he's basically right there to make a tackle. It's just, you know, I know even on one of those, he's playing off, but he's got so, such speed that he got there basically when the ball did. Um, but it still got caught, and he had just enough time to even get a punch right at the ball, but the guy's hands were just too strong. So everything from A to B was nearly perfect, similar to that Savage near breakup. You know what I mean? If, 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 if we're talking just centimeters, if he gets there just a little earlier, if he gets his hand just a little higher, if he just punches the ball a little harder, I mean, it's it's an incompletion. Point is, he's not getting killed, he's just getting beat. And I expect him to get killed one of these days, but he just he just hasn't. I mean, even you look at 160 yards, okay, and what, 75 of that was one play by Savage. And that's not even Savage's fault, by the way. You can't, no DB should get in trouble for any reception that happens like after six seconds. And this was probably eight, nine, ten seconds. This, that was entirely on Joe Barry. That was stupid. But anyways, we're going to keep it at that. It's a short episode. I want to try to get this out before 8 o'clock if possible. But uh, just some quick thoughts. Um, again, another gritty win by the Packers. They hung in there. They stood strong. They stood by Mason Crosby, gave him the opportunity again to kick the game winner. Because I'll be honest, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, just go for it, man. Just Let's just go get a touchdown. But um, they gave him an opportunity, and he, he came through, and we won the game. And again, I just expect this to be a lot of what we're doing this year. And that's fine. They need this. They need to exercise these grit muscles. And then hopefully, as guys start to come back and other guys start to perform a little bit better, we get back a little bit more to 2024 and the defense stays playing at this level. I mean, that's what we have to build toward. Keep getting a little bit better. Keep the grit, but keep getting a little bit better. But uh, you folks have yourselves a great day. I will talk to you tomorrow. As always, have a good one. Bye-bye.